know, read, understand, analyze, communicate. Four key terms, right? And yeah. that is what I feel, you know, analyze, organize the data and then communicate in, in a manner that is very easily understood to me as a client. You know, what are the five things that you want me to know in a nice manner so that I feel it's worth to invest in your fund? Welcome to episode number 72 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today we've got Vishal Iyer joining us as the third guest in our mini-series on the importance of building the skill of data literacy in individuals and in teams. Vishal is Senior Manager at PwC Academy Middle East and a CFA trainer extraordinaire. In today's episode, we're going to focus our attention on data literacy for finance professionals, maybe get some nuggets of advice for candidates who are studying for the CFA exams as well. Thanks for sharing your talents and insights with us today, Vishal. My pleasure. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, it, it has a... Uh, uh, something for our uh, for for you know for our listeners today, uh, Vishal and I have kind of known of each other for a long time in the CFA training space, uh, but have uh, not met until uh, until today. So, uh, Vishal, uh, you know you. I, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show with you is I wanted to pick a CFA trainer that I knew of uh, in in the world. Uh, and you're, you know, you're the excellence uh, in the teaching that I know that you have provided uh, is uh, is one of those uh, reasons why uh, why I wanted to get you on the phone today. What's one of the most favorite things that you do as uh, as a CFA trainer? What keeps you going to that next class? That's a fantastic question, Andy. You know, I think one of the things that I've always said is the moment of revelation in the eye of the candidate. You know, the CFA program gives you fantastic opportunities to talk about stuff that is a eureka moment for many candidates. And when you see it light up, I think that is the most exciting thing for me as a trainer. Yeah, that, uh, I, I used to I used to love that as a CFA trainer myself. And the, you know, the, the, the you know, as a, I, I was a teacher for uh, quite a while as well. And, you know, when you're teaching university students, yes, it's very satisfying. Uh, but boy, you get some CFA candidates uh, in the room and that sense of urgency to pass the exam just creates a completely different environment. Uh, one that's very satisfying as an instructor. Absolutely. It's, yeah. And they appreciate quality. You know, you bring in stuff, you bring in value. It's immediately rewarding. Yeah. So that is that is what keeps me going every year. And you want to improve and make it better so that they enjoy it more. Yeah, well, I'm very proud of the work that you've done. Uh, we do this on every show. Before we uh, get into the meat of the program, uh, please tell our listeners your story. This podcast is all about data literacy. So, you know, I, I just want to start off with some numbers. You know, I'm 41, 15 years in the industry, plus first six years in the world of corporate finance, treasury in the industry. And since the last nine to 10 years, over a decade now, I've been a trainer. Uh, so 2011, I started training. I trained on the corporate side, on the open program side, primarily in the area of CFA, but I do other programs as well, like CMA, ACCA, and all the other stuff. So that's me in the nutshell. On the personal side, I have a wonderful family of five, including me, my wife, 
who is also done her MSc in finance. A lot of finance brain in the house, and I have oh, three boy. kids: one elder boy of nine, and then twin boys of two years old. So you know, it keeps me busy and active oh. throughout the day and the night. Wow, that is uh, uh, twin twin boys. Uh, that's going to be a real joy. Uh, to uh, watch uh, watch them grow up, and uh, you'll have to stay in shape. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, I I joined the gym just five months back, and I realized mm. that that's what is needed to survive this. Right, right, right. Well, you you will not only survive, you will thrive. You know, Vishal, if you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters under your career, what would that be? A movie. Weirdly enough. So 2011, I had done six years of, you know, corporate work. And just to put it in context, I was doing pretty well. I had won some awards for as an innovative manager in the world of finance. But every time I presented, every time I talk about stuff, people came and said, you know, you have this ability to explain that makes a lot of sense. And I was always passionate about teaching. Uh, I just want to tell a very small story out here that I'm actually, I was, I dropped out of school because I was so bad at academics that I was completely written off as a black sheep of the family. And, you know, I took a year's break, went back to schooling, some things clicked, and there were teachers who turned around my life. At that point in time, you know, I felt that this is an amazing calling. And I always felt I wanted to teach. But it's a passion. But in India, you know, it doesn't pay really well. So, you know, to take it up was a challenge. But in 2011, there's a movie called Three Idiots. And it says, you know, follow your passion, follow your dream, you know, do it whatever the cost. And I went home, I told my wife, you know what, probably you're going to have a smaller car, a smaller house, but a happy husband. And I moved into academics. And I think that was probably my best decision ever. Uh, in 2011, I, I went into my classroom for the first time. And that's when I felt, okay, this is what I want to do to the rest of my life. And that that was my moment. You know, watching that movie, watching that moment, where it said that it's important for me, this is my calling, I do it for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, you know, that that feeling that you get when you're up in front of a classroom and things are clicking and you're seeing the connections uh, be, being made, uh, there there's just really not much more satisfying than that. I'm also a musician, so I get to see it uh, also when I'm uh, when I'm performing, when, a, you know, when a crowd really gets uh, into what into what you're doing. Uh, a lot of people don't think that teachers are performers, but uh, uh, you've got some performer in you, I'm sure. You know, I use and I coined this term weirdly when I talk to my training team that education is not education anymore. It's edutainment. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's how do you make it exciting? You know, you have to hold the audience at 630 in the evening after a full days of work for three and a half hours. So you yeah. just cannot go out there and say, I'm going to explain Shapir issue. You have to make it exciting and engaging. Yeah, yeah. So, Vishal, let's dive into data literacy today. Uh, when you hear that phrase, what does it mean to you? I started my career in 2004. So working with data was something that comes naturally to us being in the world of finance. So I've worked with a lot of data. I've worked briefly in management information system roles. So working with data is something that has been always very relevant to me. But in its technical format, when I understood what is data literacy, it started in 2010 when I worked for a large multinational company where we were essentially working with farmers in India. And we would collect information about 
100,000 farmers at any point in time. And at that point in time, this information being reported on an Excel sheet. And that is when I realized, you know, as a finance professional, the importance of data literacy, which is how much data was available to me. What can I do from reading it, understanding it, and presenting it in a manner which was so lucid that a lot of good quality information can come out of it. So data literacy for me is essentially effectively utilizing the data that is available to make appropriate commercial decisions. That's what comes to my mind. Oh, that's a that's a wonderful definition. You, know, you started your career on the accountancy side, uh, so I wanted to get your thoughts from that perspective first. Uh, on the surface, as you've mentioned, uh, accountants and finance professionals uh, might think that they're already quote unquote data literate because they're working with financial information all the time. Uh, does this perspective create any blind spots for accountants? What kinds of data do accountants minimize or ignore that could help them be better at their jobs? That is actually a wonderful question. I started my career in accounting, and when I talk to people around me, people work with data. Their job is to collect information, present in form of financial information, and that was data literacy to them. You know, For accountants, when I say data literacy, it's their ability to synthesize the commercial transactions into financial statements. And that's where it stopped. But where I observed the role of financial accounting evolving is into business partnering. Mm. And as that transition happened, a lot of blind spots started to pop up. From being a purely reporting-based activity, accounting transitioned into a value-adding activity. And that is where I realized that accountants tend to focus on structured source of data they are very used to information being presented to them in an Excel sheet, which is financial in nature. A lot of the accountants, even today, I observe ignore or underplay the importance of non-financial and non-structured information. And that is where they can add a lot of value to the organization. And this is what I strongly believe is the blind spot. You look at the kind of information that is collected today by an organization on the invoices, on the social media. And if the accounting fraternity starts utilizing this information and transitions this to decision makers, then that can add massive value. I can actually quote a very nice example from my line of work. As a product head, designing products and selling products to candidates in the arena of training, what we observed in, for example, one of the city is transition of the demographics of the nature of the student who was adopting our programs. Our revenue numbers were growing. So the accountants were happy with it. But what was very interesting is the nature of the audience that was taking the programs. And we observed that there was a lot more local representation in the classroom. Now, this information was very important because for us to sustain our growth, we needed to cater to them and the kind of delivery that was needed in order to sustain that growth and sustain the success of the program needed to change. So if the accountant in my organization takes something which is non-financial of this nature, which is the democratic information, or the change in the customer preferences in terms of the products, then it could provide very useful information to us in terms of making better business and product decisions. 
Yeah, I, you know, the role of the accountant is changing uh, massively. And, uh, you know, you alluded to it, but relationship management is is one area. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're here talking about uh, the data literacy today. And, you know, just unlocking the value of uh, of the data uh, that that's there for their customers to to build a better business, uh, I, I think, is is just tremendous. And uh, far too many accountants are kind of missing that uh, today. So I think that's the that's that next generation. Let's move to the world of finance and investments. Uh, now, we're understanding the sources and uses of data are a critical part of the average investment professional's work. Uh, how can focus on improving data literacy and investment in investment professionals yield better information for investors? I want to adhere to this in context of the portfolio management process itself, right? There are three phases when we talk about an investment professional career. He would either be working in the planning phase where he's collecting data from the client to understand the client better, or he's in the execution phase where he's making choices of asset classes or the tools through which to execute the decisions. Again, he's collecting market, capital market information in order to execute this. And the last part of it is reporting and monitoring, wherein the, the investment professional is reporting this information to a client to understand the performance during the period. So there is a data collection that is constantly happening at various phases. Now with advent of big data, machine learning, AI, the amount of data that is coming and the amount of data that an investment professional has access to has increased manifold. In fact, the CFA curriculum has introduced a wonderful reading on this, which actually indicates that an average investment professional has to spend 80% of his time in just organizing, cleansing the data before they spend the remaining 20% of their time in actually developing the relationships which are useful to make appropriate investment strategies. So the understanding of organizing and cleansing, which is not, if I may call it, the attractive part of the process, is actually the most important because that sets up the base. So if I want my strategies to be effective, then it is extremely important that the data source and the database on which I've created those strategies have to be effective. So as a finance professional, and I'm talking to a lot of them now, I go and tell them that upgrade your skill sets, understand what are the tools available to you, and use them to understand the first two steps better, even before you go into model building. Model building comes after you understand organizing and cleansing. And my personal experience, unfortunately, suggests that that skill set is still not available to the larger group of the population. So I do honestly believe that organizing and cleansing is something that investment professionals should learn better. And then obviously, you know, the analytical aspect of it comes. In. One thing, Andy, which is very close to us and we did when we were working together is financial storytelling, which is the last element that I want investment professionals to have, which is, you know, once you're done all the hard work. It's all about visualizing and communicating the information. And I think that is where sometimes you wonder that the investment professional lack the skill set. You know, there's so much information, they've synthesized it, but how do you visualize it and communicate effectively? And that also is the part of data literacy. You know, read, understand, analyze, communicate. Four key terms, right? And yeah. that is what I feel, you know, analyze, organize the data and then communicate in, in a manner 
that is very easily understood to me as a client. You know, what are the five things that you want me to know in a nice manner so that I feel it's worth to invest in your fund? So that is that is that is that is in summary what I feel investment professionals need today in terms of using data effectively. Yeah, thanks for that, Vishal. We're we're gonna take a quick break for a commercial and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. In my book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, I explore the characteristics required of leaders who must find balance between strength and vulnerability, confidence and selflessness, passion and measure, and leadership and followership. Balancing Act is available today at Amazon.com. And we're back with Vishal Iyer talking about data literacy in the accounting and finance industries. Uh, you know, before the commercial break, uh, you were talking about something that's very near and dear to me, which is storytelling. Uh, your Our careers are intersecting right now because we're both uh, at least talking to the Financial Modeling Institute, uh, you know, Ian Schnur uh, was over there visiting you not not too not too long ago. So this is a uh, a shameless plug for for the Financial Modeling Institute. Uh, but you know, let's uh, extend the conversation to the skills uh, that uh, that that are necessary. Where should improving data literacy sit amongst the dozens of competing training priorities accounting and finance firms face? In your opinion, is data literacy in that list of quote unquote top ten skills of the future? Again, a brilliant question, Andy, and. Last year, I'm going to answer this in two contexts. I actually had the opportunity in the last year to actually do a session, which is the New Age Accounting and Finance Professional. And when I was doing that session, I referred to a report by Accenture, which essentially said that 70% of finance professionals in futures will be data gurus. And this is you know, their own research. So it very clearly indicates that if you want to be relevant, if you want your job to be relevant, you will need to be having appropriate knowledge of data literacy, data science. In terms of the demand itself, because I am client-facing as well, I have seen data literacy-related training demand also increasing in the industry. So I would put it as the top three skill sets within the top three skill sets that is needed absolutely in order to grow in the world of finance. What I've also observed having the opportunity to talk to various education bodies. They have updated their competency frameworks to include data as one of the key skill sets they are trying to in improve among their uh, potential candidates. So top three requirements in terms of your training skill sets that need to be had. And it's extremely important, which is also observed by all the curriculum bodies out there. Uh, so not not just top ten, but uh, top th top five, top three. That uh, top three. That is a uh, a powerful recommendation for the industry. You know, Vishal, as an educator, what advice do you have uh, beyond uh, you know adding to the competency frameworks uh, for educational leaders in both secondary and post secondary educational institutions? to improve the data literacy of their graduates so their outputs become inputs uh, for, for the industry? 
very near and dear question to me you know because i'm a part and parcel of that industry in some way or the other but one of the things that i found and is that data and data science related knowledge some of this stuff has been there in the education system for a very long period of time but the delivery of it is a challenge especially in the secondary and the post secondary so for example if i have to briefly mention it a topic like hypothesis which is integral to data science is taught at various levels but when people come into the cfa they are still dreading it because they have no clue what's happened so i think one of the key recommendations is upskill the tutors to essentially understand the importance of what they are being taught rather than just from the purpose of clearing the exam to something that is application driven so that is one very important recommendation that tutors need to be upskilled make the latest knowledge as a part of the curriculum excel is a fantastic data tool but it's being outdone you have power bi's coming in charts on excels are outdated tool you have now tableau you know other tools that are coming in so i think latest elements latest tools should be incorporated as a part of the curriculum and the most important point is it cannot be tested today it is being tested in a theoretical framework right i think the assessment itself has to become practical in nature because one of the other research that i read clearly said that insight driven organizations are going to survive in future so therefore you need to develop the ability as an educator in your candidate to develop appropriate insights so therefore the testing should be the ability of the student to grasp the data and draw insights out of it so these are my three key recommendations yeah that that experiential point that you're making to bring uh really all education alive not just uh data literacy and then uh from an examination perspective you know make the examinations experiential as well that's one of the things i'm very proud of of being uh involved with the financial modeling institute uh because fmi their their exams are experiential you have to actually do something uh to pass the exam not just uh, uh click a b c or d on a multiple choice exam so uh th- thank you for those recommendations uh, I've been following your career as an advanced financial designations trainer for some time. Uh, this may be a loaded question. You and I both know that the CFA curriculum lags the reality of the marketplace in in many cases. Uh, do you think data uh, acumen and storytelling skills have a place in the broader CFA curriculum? Absolutely. absolutely and i think cfa institute does recognize this and there is a lot of effort that is being put for example there is introduction to financial modeling that's coming into the syllabus yeah but the one of the challenges that i do observe and this is what is in front of the cfa curriculum committee or the examination body is that how do you make it practical because many of these content that i see be it machine learning which has been there for a while big data which has been there for a while is still for the student a theoretical topic on which they need to crack an item set so how do you ensure that this becomes more experiential so it comes back to the same as the previous question so still though it's being addressed i strongly believe that the candidates still lack data and storytelling skills and i think though the body has included theoretical knowledge on it i think it would be interesting to see if there is an opportunity for level 4 out here which is into probably application you know or can there be an essay question for example in level 3 which is linked to some kind of a modeling you know 
analytical case study you know so the application of it is what i would think is missing currently in the program and i think if that can come in it makes the program more effective and helps students in understanding storytelling and data science better yeah vishal you're in your early 40s uh, by your own admission i'm in my uh, very late 50s uh, and so I have a bit more of a historical perspective. You uttered the phrase level four. <laughs> and in the in the 1990s, uh, there, there was in early 2000s, uh, there was a discussion of uh, specialization and expansion of the of the curriculum and a quote unquote level four exam. And boy, oh boy, was there a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of pushback on that. Uh, but I think you know, CFA Institute could learn from Financial Modeling Institute in terms of the how the assessments are uh, being uh, handled and make them more experiential. Uh, so, Vishal, we're up against time here. This is the final question for you today. Uh, but, bef be but before I let you go, I just want to thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, we're doing this on Zoom because uh, we had some connection issues uh, you're you're over in the UAE. I'm here in the United States. I'm really glad we were able to connect. Uh, what are you most excited about for the future for your work with PwC Academy Middle East? At PwC Academy Middle East, at this juncture, our entire objective is looking into revolutionizing the entire learning experience from program-based learning to skill-based learning. So rather than telling a candidate that, you know, you should be doing CFA, we are trying to say, hey, what do you want to do in your career? You want to become a financial analyst? So these are the set of skills that are there. And how do you develop those skill sets? So my ultimate goal at the moment is to look to design a holistic training program that makes the student employable and just does not give them certificates that are just that, certificates. Yeah, uh, so spot on. Employability is is the key. As educators, uh, if you're an educator listening to this, uh, or if you're a leader in a company listening to this, you know, make sure that your training and your learning agendas are practical in nature and lead to upskilling that can be proven or shown uh, that that. That, that your learners know how to do something. Uh, it is just absolutely essential. So thank you for the work that you and uh, your business are, are doing uh, to improve employability. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. We're available on all the major podcast uh, streaming services as well as out on YouTube. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, share. Uh, that's the greatest gift that you could give to us is uh, by making the recommendation uh, to your friends and uh, colleagues about this podcast. Vishal, thank you so much again. Uh, and everybody have a great day. Thank you for having me.